Welcome to Pastor Casey's Sermon at Bangor Community Church's Sunday Service. Casey is the Village Missions Pastor at Bangor Community Church here in Bangor, California. Village Missions serves Christ by sending missionary pastors to rural communities all over North America. Casey's joined by his wife, Hope, and their eight children. Let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, if everybody would like to turn with me to Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles. Uh, As we continue through the last night of Jesus's life, uh, we both look back on what has brought us to this point. We look ahead to what's coming next uh, and the group of people we are looking at uh, in that group of people. Only Jesus actually knew what was coming next. Uh, Jesus had spent the evening with his disciples eating the Passover meal, uh, showing them that he would what he would end up doing would be the ultimate and final fulfillment of the Passover. He instituted communion, ushering in the new covenant. He was teaching them, giving them last minute instructions. Uh, He reassured him that even when they sinned and fell, which they would do, that he would be right there with them, that, that they are still his. He showed Peter that he would deny Jesus three times that night before the rooster crowed the next morning. And he was especially warning them that hard times were coming, but none of it would be a surprise to God and that he would be with them through it. Jesus did this already knowing that Judas had set in motion a set of events that would lead to his arrest and his crucifixion that very night. Uh, Luke doesn't record it, but Jesus ends his time with the disciples in the upper room uh, with, the, with what's called the high priestly prayer. That's what Frank was reading this morning. John chapter 17, that entire prayer, if you get a chance to go back and read it, uh, is, is incredible. And we see his public prayer before he and the disciples leave. And then we'll see this, this morning his, his private prayers to God the Father. So we'll go ahead and we'll read this morning's passage, uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Uh, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. I encourage you to grab your preferred translation and read along. If you don't have one, uh, the ESV is up here on the screen. uh, And we'll follow along as we read the Word of God. So Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. The Holy Spirit inspires Luke to record the following. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. So Jesus and his friends, they they leave the upper room uh, and would actually leave Jerusalem itself. They, They weren't actually staying that week, the evenings, the nights in Jerusalem. We saw at the end of chapter 21 that they were staying just outside the city. Luke says they lodged on the mount called Olivet or the Mount of Olives. So they, they left uh, 
the, the meal, they left their time in the upper room, and they made their way out of Jerusalem. Now this, unlike the location of the Passover meal, this was not a secret. Judas, of course, knew where they would be headed because he lodged with them. They all lodged together. Uh, so he knew where they would be headed, and we will see that next week, him, him show back up. Uh, and this is where they would go each and every night. They would leave Jerusalem, and they would go up uh, to where they were staying. One of the things that, that I want us to see in this, this is not the main point, of course, but something that is modeled here and is modeled throughout the scriptures is that Jesus, as, as much as he is able to, is that he has a routine. He has a regular way that he did things when he was able. He was orderly. He was scheduled. He followed that routine. There were things that he would not let fall by the wayside. Things that were too important to let things, even good and important things, get in the way of. We see in scripture that for Jesus, and therefore should be for us, that, that one of the things that he makes as a super high priority, makes sure as part of his routine is prayer time with God the Father. Not only the public group prayer, like we see in John 17, um, though that is of course important and good, uh, but uninterrupted, undistracted, specifically set aside time with the Father. So Jesus makes this a priority throughout scriptures. He goes off and he spends time alone with, with God the Father. And so as they get up to the Mount of Olives, Jesus went to pray. He went into the olive grove. And, and, and this seems to be something that he did presumably every night this, this week. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Every night when they returned from Jerusalem, he would go to this place uh, up on the Mount of Olives. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he would spend time with and pray to God the Father. In verse 40, he tells the disciples, the other Gospels makes it clear that he's specifically talking to the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And he tells them, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. And as we see, not for the last time, even in this passage, Luke and his focus is much more on Jesus and his prayer than on the disciples and their failings. Uh, Jesus goes off a short way away, prays by himself. In those days, people stood as they prayed. Uh, here, Jesus showing the solemnity, the seriousness of that moment, he kneels and prays. And he prayed hard. He prayed earnestly. He prayed uh, very, just focused and determined prayer. Uh, it's entirely possible one of the other reasons he kneeled uh, or knelt was because of the physical exertion that the prayer was taking on him. Uh, now, Jesus had a full, complete human nature, but he also had a full, complete divine nature, God nature. That human nature was praying about what was going to come next. He knew the sacrifice that was coming. Jesus knew the physical pain that was about to happen. He knew the wrath and the separation of God that was on its way just for him. He knew, as many commentators uh, call it, the horror of the cross. He knew what was coming and his human nature did not want to go through it. God, if there's any other way that we could accomplish what I came to accomplish, if there were any other way to atone for the sins of the chosen, if there were any other way to purchase forgiveness for those who have saving faith, Father, if there are any other way, please let this cup pass for me. But Jesus, in his God nature, 
knew the plan from the beginning. He knew there was no other way. He was part of the, the plan, part of the planning of this. As, as one third of the Trinity, three persons, one God, he knew there was no other way. He knew that, there was more, that, that what was more important than the wants of his human nature and will was God's nature and will. This is very easy for us who are, are Christians or have grown up in the church, learning this often. It's easy for us to know this intellectually. God's will comes first. We submit our will to God's will. Uh, it's more important uh, that more important than our will and nature is God's will and nature. It's easy to know that in our heads, but it can be so difficult to apply as we see this right here. Our human nature and will are at war with God's will and nature. They, they have been since the first garden. Adam's will overcame what he knew God wanted from. His will won. And with sin now as a part of our nature, it has been at war with God's nature and will ever since. We know how God calls us to live. We know what God calls us to do. We want to do those things, I would hope. Most of us, if we have a changed heart, if we are truly a follower of Christ, we want to do those things. And ideally, we want to live that way. But often, that means stepping out of our comfort zone. That means upsetting our family if we tell them the truth. It means losing friends if we change who we used to be. It means offending others, refusing to go along with everyone else and to keep the peace. Instead, it's a lot easier to convince ourselves that we are, in fact, being faithful to God without doing those things that he has clearly told us to do. I'm the exception. I mean, God knows my heart. If you knew my situation, he hasn't called me to that. I've already done it, so I might as well keep doing it. I've already sinned, might as well. doesn't matter anymore. If we truly desire and are committed to his will, it means not our will. It means we die to self. It means we live for his desires, not our. If we truly desire it, he will help us in that. It won't look the same in every person or every circumstances, but he will help us. We see in verse 43 how he helped Jesus that very night. This moment, which is, which is only recorded in Luke's gospel, shows an angel coming down and strengthening Jesus, helping him to seek God's will first, to help him, like he told the disciples in verse 40, not to enter into temptation, to strengthen him. And then Jesus prayed even more earnestly. This angel giving him strength does not make it easy, but it helps make it possible. How and when he helps us when we are in those situations does not help make it easy, but helps make us strong enough to move forward and to make it possible. We see even after the angel comes down, Jesus is still in agony. Such agony that his sweat was like great drops of blood. So a couple of things first. First on agony. Uh, we want to be clear. The word itself in the original Greek, Jonathan Edwards says, this word implies no common degree of sorrow, but such extreme distress that his nature had a most violent conflict with it as a man that wrestles with all his might with a strong man. This agony is showing how 
difficult this was inside of him, showing that war between even his perfect human nature and God's nature. Showing how much at war those two natures really are. And so where was Jesus' agony from and and what was it directed towards? Uh, The Puritan Richard Baxter writes, His agony was not from the fear of death, but from the deep sense of God's wrath against sin, which he, as our sacrifice, was to bear in greater pain than mere dying. Of course, Jesus wasn't afraid of death, not in and of itself. He, He knew what was on the other side. He knew what death looked like. He knew what the other side looked like. And he knew it wasn't going to stick. He knew that just a couple of days later, he'd be back. But he knew what it was going to take. He knew what was in his cup. He knew the full wrath of God was going to be poured down on him and him alone. And he knew what that meant. We can hear and we can think, okay, that's not going to feel good. That's going to hurt. That's going to, that's going to be terrible. That's going to be horrible. But we have no actual sense of what God's wrath is actually going to be like. Jesus knew. And the fact that he had to go through that was willing to go through that. That his love was driving him to go through that still was causing him agony. To the point where Mark's gospel says his soul was very sorrowful, even to death. He was in agony to the point where Jesus was sweat, his sweat was like great drops of blood. Now, there is a real documented medical condition where a human body can be under such extreme stress that the, the blood vessels near the sweat glands burst. And so the human body does, in fact, literally sweat blood. That's, that's what it appears happened this, this night to Jesus in the garden while he's praying to God. Language is not crystal clear if that was the actual uh, medical condition or if it was that he was sweating in a way that made the sweat thick and pouring out of him as blood would. Either way, we see that Jesus was agonizing through his prayers. And we see, especially in the other Gospels, the, the disciples couldn't stay awake. It was, they couldn't stay focused. They didn't know what was at stake. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't have that same agony as Jesus. They didn't have that same uh, uh, understanding of what was happening. So there wasn't the urgency. There wasn't the stress. They couldn't be bothered to pray as Jesus instructed because that was not their priority. In verse 46, Jesus reiterates his command to them. Pray to avoid temptation. Again, as I said earlier, Luke mentions these But his emphasis and focus are on Jesus and his prayer instead of the disciples and their failings. But again, Luke does mention it. And in that glimpse of the disciples' failures, combined with Jesus' prayer and agony, we see so much that, that is there. Again, Jesus knew what was coming for him. We have no idea. We, we get only glimpses of the wrath of God in Scripture. We get only glimpses of the wrath of God in our lives. And, and no matter how bad it's been, and some people have it incredibly bad, but no matter how bad it's been, it is nothing compared to the wrath that Jesus willingly took and that awaits those who refuse to turn to him in faith. Jesus took the wrath, absorbed it all, and did so Because the love of God is all-encompassing and love 
covers a multitude of sins. He willingly absorbed the full wrath of God so that those who believe, who may be called sons and daughters of God, may be spared the wrath of God. He took the wrath we so justly and rightly deserved so that we may experience eternal communion with him and the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, once and for all. Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage and he said, since it is not possible for any believer, however experienced, to know for himself all that our Lord endured in mental suffering and hellish malice, it is clearly beyond the preacher's capacity to set it forth before you. Jesus himself must give you access to the wonders of Gethsemane. As for me, I can but invite you to enter the garden. We, we can't know what Jesus went through that night. We can't know what Jesus went through on the cross. Not completely and not in any real sense. But it's important to know as much as we are able. It's important to recognize what agony this was causing Jesus. It's important to be able to recognize what it cost him. Because that's the only way that we can truly know and appreciate everything that Jesus did. One commentator writes, It's not just that Jesus died for me, but that he died this horrible, damnable, God-forsaken death that no one would ever want to die. He died this death because there was no other way for sinners to be saved. No easier road to redemption. No alternatives to the cross. Jesus thus volunteered to do what the Father willed, choosing to do the one thing that would bring the most suffering to his body and soul. It's not just that Jesus died for us. It's not that we should feel bad for what he went through. It wasn't that Jesus was touched and moved by Jesus' sacrifice that he magically decided, okay, I forgive your sins because he did this. It's, it's none of that. The, the garden is, is not a prescription to pray harder, to want it bad enough, and God will send an angel to strengthen us. These are all peripheral at best and, and non-existent at, at worst to what the point of this passage is. I'm going to finish with a, a quote on this passage from Philip Ryken. says, this must always be the main lesson we learn whenever we go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke does not show us the agony of Jesus to arouse our pity, primarily, or to simply remind us of our Savior's humanity, but to help us see the love that Jesus has in dying for our sins. We will never have to suffer what our Savior suffered in Gethsemane or at Calvary for the very reason that everything he suffered there was in our place, on our behalf. The first response we make to Jesus should always be faith in the saving work he did in suffering and dying as our substitute. The lesson of Gethsemane is not that Jesus suffers with us, but that he suffered for us. I lied. That's not where I'm finishing. Uh, but I, as I was taking my notes, I saw that quote. I said, that's the perfect finish to this. And then as I was writing it down, I said, there's, there's more. There's more to it than so much more. And what I'm actually going to do in a few moments is finish with Romans 5, 8 through 11. But I, I want us to, to think about what, what he wrote. 
It's not that Jesus died for us. It's not that he suffers with us. It's that he suffered in our place. And what did he suffer? He suffered so much that he knew it was coming and the agony of knowing that it was coming caused him to sweat like great drops of blood, caused him to be his soul to be sorrowful unto death, caused him to, to, to have these reactions that he needed an angel to come and help strengthen him. The things he knew was coming were so agonizing. And so what he did was he took our place so that we would not have to go through that. Not so that he could help us through that. Not so that, not with us, but for us, in place of us, as a substitute for us. So that we would be spared the wrath of God if we would turn to him and have our faith and trust in Christ. So Romans 5, 8 through 11, Paul writes, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christ died. He paid it all. He did it for us. He didn't do it to stand next to us as we go through it. He took it all on himself. And he did it through no, nothing about ourselves, through no works, through no morals, through no anything about us. But while we were yet sinners, he died for us so that we may receive eternal salvation Salvation from God, from the wrath of God, and that we would be reconciled to him for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice so much at what you have done for us, what you have given us, and we rejoice at Jesus Christ and his completed and finished work on the cross. We mourn that you had to go through this, that it is our sin that caused you to have to deal and go through this agony. But we thank you and we rejoice in the fact that you suffered in our place so that through your grace, Lord, and our faith in Christ, we would be spared that wrath. Help us to, to remember this as we go through uh, what this life has, has to offer, good and bad. Help us to remember this as we walk through with our family who doesn't know you, our friends that don't know you, our neighbors that don't know you, our coworkers that don't know you. Help us to show them the rejoicing that takes place with a changed heart when we know what had to be done, what, would, what we would be going through if not for you, Jesus. Help us to, to lift these things up to you. Help us to pray regularly. Help us to to stay prioritized, but ultimately help us to remember how big of a deal this is and how agonizing this was for you, Jesus, and that it was for your love for us that you did this. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. Visit us online at facebook.com slash bangorcommunitychurchca, all one word. Or Pastor Casey at Casey Holenchek, that's C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K dot com. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's Word. If you've listened this far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at caseyholanchik.com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.